Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where two fantastic ladies talk about why men are dumb and women should rule the world. (laughs) I'm Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by my amazing, fantabulous co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Lauren, how are you? Uh, a little tired, a little annoyed, but otherwise I'm okay. You know, men are just stupid. That's all. They are, and we're going to talk a lot about that. I think that we are, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, we just wanted to start off with a shout out. We're going to start doing this every week, which is something we've talked about doing for a long time, and we just haven't, but we're going to just say a big thank you to all of our amazing patrons that help keep this show running. So thanks to Adriana, The Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Kathleen, Cariata, I hope I'm saying that right, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all. Yes, thank you guys. Um, and if I'm saying your name incorrectly, please just send me a message and let me know because I, I'm big on that. I hate saying names wrong. So, um, Okay. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, um, and we're going to start because this also is kind of a, what have you been up to? And uh, so we're going to start with the Oscars, since that was a week ago. (laughs) And Lauren, where were you when you heard the news that the first non-English language film ever won Best Picture of the Year? I I was in my apartment in Brooklyn. I was very inebriated. And <laughs> and for a moment I was like, what's happening? And I was like, oh, Parasite won, yay! <laughs> and then I died. So there's that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where were you, Karen? Oh man, I was sitting in the interview room backstage with 250 reporters that all screamed as soon as it happened because a lot of us thought it might but we like when it actually did it was just like oh my god oh my god it actually happened and it was very exciting very exciting and uh the oscars in general were pretty great this year um i really like the years where no one film really just runs away with everything and it's kind of interesting that Parasite was the film that won the most awards with four out of its six nominations. Next. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. No, sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, it was quite a, an interesting Oscars this year. It mm-hmm. was very, it was very varied. Like, I don't think, I, I kind of predicted some of it. I, I figured the Parasite was going to win the best international feature, but some of it was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like, this is nice. <laughs> it's funny because my official final ballot, I got 17 out of 24. But what's frustrating about that 17 is the fact that at some point in the last month, I have had every one of those categories correct. And then there were like <laughs> a bunch of things where I changed at the last minute to other things. So it's like, I had a perfect ballot this year, but I didn't. 
(laughs) (laughs) And uh, it made me feel like, you know, I'm pretty good at this job. I should do it all the time. So, yeah, no, it was it was really cool. I was. uh, Oh, man. I had a moment where I was seriously like I did not know what to do. (laughs) And it's like the best the best terrible choice I've ever had to make Um, because (laughs) the way it works in the interview room um, it takes about an hour before the winners get back there because what happens is like they're on stage they accept their award then you see them get escorted off with the presenters and then they go through this whole like obstacle course of stuff that they do behind the scenes so they go and get their statuette engraved they go do their first interview with GMA because Good Morning America has first dibs since it's on ABC and they toast with Kelly Ripa. It might be a reverse order. I'm not sure. And then, um, and then they get escorted over to the hotel. This is, there's a couple of funny things that people don't know about the way that the Oscars happen, the logistics. Uh, first of all, they're at a mall, which is a very LA thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars are at the mall. Think- <laughs> I always think that that's so weird to think yeah. about because on on screen you're just you're just like oh it's this you know fancy schmancy theater and all mm-hmm. the fancy schmancy people and it's like it's a mall. <laughs> yeah, the red carpet like you you can't see it, but they have to walk past a Walgreens and <laughs> a gelato shop and uh, something else, and then inside there's like a coffee shop and like this fancy. Uh, weird fancy store and then like on the other side of uh there's like on the other side of where those shops are the parts that don't make it onto the show at all like aren't even covered there's a forever 21 there's a hard rock cafe there's a johnny rocket so it's like it's such a mall it's like a total mall it's hilarious there's a sunglass hut you know it's like it's really really funny and um well but then, so across the street from this is the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel. And I say across the street, but what's cool and was very intentional when they built this center, because they built the Dolby Theater, which used to be the Kodak Theater. They built it specifically for the Oscars, but they do other events and stuff there too. But um, they built up that whole Hollywood and Highland Center, which is the name of the mall. And then they built the Lowe's all together so that everything would would function as one useful space and so they have all these tunnels that connect from the Dolby over to the hotel so you can actually get from one to the other without going outside if you have the proper access and uh, not just anybody can do that but um, for the Oscars they they do that so they escort the winners from the backstage of the Dolby over to the hotel and then they go into a photo room and do a photo shoot and then they come into the interview room for like the press conference and and that whole thing takes like an hour so brad pitt wins the first award of the night we don't see him for another hour until he finally gets backstage so then what happens is i mean lauren what do you think was the one award i was most besides best picture i was most invested in i mean i can't i think documentary obviously Mm. uh uh, it was adapted screenplay. Uh huh. No, yeah. no, I didn't. That, that was totally the farthest from. I my, know. That's mine so. Right it's now. such a shock, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Brad Pitt comes into the interview room right as they're announcing adapted screenplay. 
<laughs> on the monitors. And I had, you know, we have radio so you can hear the broadcast inside the room while someone is, is up on the stage being interviewed. And I was like, I have to choose between Brad Pitt and Taika Waititi right now. This is not as easy of a choice as you might think it would be. And it was, yeah. And so I was watching the monitor while trying to listen to Brad. And as soon as they announced, because there was still a chance that it was going to be Greta Gerwig for Little Women. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really, really pulling for Taika. And everybody knows this. It's not a surprise. But um, as soon as they announced his name, I squealed while Brad is talking. (laughs) And all these people, like, just turn and look at me like, what is your problem? And I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. So, but, yeah, it was amazing. And so then what they do is, like, in the interview room, the way it's set up. Sorry, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but I thought it was. um, Because I've never been there before. But so they have the stage where they have the microphone and there's cameras and lights pointed at that and there's a moderator and in front of that there's a couple of rows of seats that are facing the stage but then behind the chairs there's all these rows of tables that are perpendicular to the stage so you've got people lined up on both sides of the tables with computers and you know all kinds of stuff doing work and every seat has a card with a number on it and so if you want to ask a question you hold up the card And then the moderator will just call your number and then you stand up and introduce yourself and ask your question. And uh, so Taika was the, he ended up being the fourth winner to come in because Bong skipped, he skipped the interview room until the end. He just came in once for everything. So uh, he had won an original screenplay, but um, we skipped over him. So Taika is the fourth person. I have not asked a single question yet because there's only been four winners. And I was, like, so nervous about it. But as soon as they announced that he was coming in, I shot my hand up in the air with my card. And I got to be the first (laughs) person to ask a question. And I was so nervous about it. But he's just so charming and delightful that it was just awesome. Yeah. That sounds so cool. No, that that is interesting. Because obviously most most of us, most of us plebeians who do not get to go to the Oscars, (laughs) obviously just get to see, you know, the, the, the award ceremony and, and the interviews and stuff like that, but we don't really know how it works, mm-hmm. like how it, it's actually arranged. And I mean, I know I've been to film festivals and stuff like that, where they've had red carpets and, and things in a much smaller scale, obviously. Yeah. But it's always really weird to see that from the actual perspective of the way that it's set up, because it looks so glamorous on, on a screen. But there's like an actual logistics to it and people working behind the scenes and like tables with cards, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Before the, because they lock down, because the show starts at five, the red carpet arrivals start at one thirty. So they open the carpet to the guests at one thirty, And before that, anybody who has a credential for any area... Um, they're allowed to just run around on the red carpet until one o'clock. So, um, but we had to be in our fancy clothes by 12 cause we still had to dress up even if we're like behind the scenes. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I was running around with one of the, uh, writers from awards daily. Um, and we were just 
all over the place, just taking pictures on the red carpet and like, wait, can we go over? Nobody's stopping us from going that way. We can just go over there. Like, this is so cool. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was so fun. We, we did the whole red carpet and like went up the stairs and took pictures and stuff like out in front of the theater. It was, it was just so much fun. And for someone like me who has been pretty obsessed with the Oscars since junior high school, it was just, it was a dream come true. It really was. It really, truly That's was. That's really cool. And being in the interview room, I would it's hard because it's like you're really trying to pay attention to a lot of things at once. But it was just such a fun experience to get to be part of that mechanism, you know? So That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was a lot to talk about with the Oscars, but a lot of things have already been said and written. So we're just going to kind of boil it down to a few things. Um, let's see. First of all... Uh, Natalie Portman made some news this week as a bunch of people praised her and a bunch of other people had some thoughts, myself included, on the coat that she wore to the Oscars because she had had it embroidered with the names of female directors that were not nominated for Oscars this year. And she was trying to make the point of like, hey, these ladies aren't here they all should be, I'm bringing them with me in this small way. What caused some people, myself included, to question this motive is the fact that Ms. Portman has only ever worked with, like, one female director that was not herself. Because she's directed once or twice. And that includes being in a film, like, starring in a movie, but also pr- producing. Because she produces films, too. Mm-hmm. She's never produced a film by a female director. So, Lauren, let's start with you, because I've been talking a lot already. Um, what are some of your thoughts on what Natalie was saying and what she, was, what she actually does and that? I mean, I, you know, it was interesting because I saw a lot of different reactions to this initially. And there was uh, an interesting article that I don't have up right now, but I will put it in the, the show notes after we're done. But it was basically talking about the fact that she has attempted to produce films with female directors and with female creators that haven't panned out. Uh, and I, th- I think that um, there were several, like when, uh, what's it called? When Jane, Jane Gets Her Gun was supposed to be one, there were a couple that she was like, she was interested in working with female directors, um, interested in like developing projects with them. And then either she had to drop out or they had to drop out and, uh, and they, the films got produced differently. I think that one of them was, um, she was going to, she was in line to play Ruth Bader Ginsburg in, on the basis of sex, which then she had to leave. And, uh, and she actually brought on, um, uh, and I, sorry, oh, what? she brought on the director, Mimi Leader. Yeah. She, she brought on Mimi Leader. So it was, so I, I absolutely agree with the criticism because it feels very performative to be like, oh, my Oscar coat, you know, my Oscar cape, <laughs> my Dior cape <laughs> is embroidered with these female directors' names. And, and I think that on the one hand, it's, it's bringing very good uh, sight to that and saying like, you know, this is not, this is not cool, guys. Why are, we st- why are we still at this point where we cannot nominate a female director for Best, for, uh, best Director? Um, so I understand both the crit- the criticism of her for that, and then I also think that it, it's it seems like it needs to be tempered a little bit with an understanding that she has tried and that it just hasn't worked out. At the same time, as you're saying, she is a woman with a great deal of clout. 
if she wants to make a film with a female director, she pretty much would be able to make that demand to say like, yeah, I would be happy to do this project or I want to produce this project. I want to appear in this project, but I want you to bring on a female director or I want to have like final, final say on who, who directs it. That's something that she can do for a lot of her work. And it doesn't appear that she's done that to the degree that maybe she wants us to think she has. So I think that there, there's kind of a, a dichotomy going on here that, um, we need to be aware of. There's been a lot of kind of performative things and I think more so by male actors and male producers than by women, uh, where it's, it's saying like, oh yeah, it's terrible that these women aren't getting nominated. It's just like, well, what are you doing about that? You know, why, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you trying to, to push for more female creators uh, to at least be in the conversation? So I think that, yeah, there are issues. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed up exactly what I would say, too. Um, I think that it's it's always... It, it's this kind of tricky situation right here because it's like, I agree with her. There were some amazing women that should have been nominated this year, not just for uh, directing, but for their scripts, too. Lulu Wong, um, the ladies that wrote Booksmart. Um, there were some really great great filmmakers that were women in 2019 that were completely ignored at the Oscars. They were, a lot of them were recognized at other awards. Like Lulu Wong actually won best feature at the spirit awards the night before, which was really awesome and totally a shock. Um, but, uh, there we do. It's important to call attention to these issues and to keep reminding people of these things. But at the same time, you have to still have your integrity about it. And, and like, if, yeah. if Natalie really wanted to promote female directors, she doesn't have to be in their movies. Sometimes their scheduling doesn't work out. I think, actually, it was Mimi Leader told me that Natalie Portman was supposed to be in the movie and had to drop out because of scheduling. And that they couldn't wait for her. She originally wanted to, but they couldn't. And, uh, cause the studio wasn't going to keep paying for it or something. I don't remember what the whole story was, but, um, that's fine. But there are other, she can still produce projects. She can, she, you know, she works with a production company and she can be seeking out female projects. There are lots of things to do where, mm -hmm. uh, she can support women. And it's not that she's not, cause that's the thing. Like, like this article that you talked about, it's not that she's not doing it. It's just that she she could be doing more and she could also be raising awareness of like times where she tried to make this happen and it didn't like, don't be quiet about that. Don't just work behind yeah. the scenes, like really make the be loud about it and say, Hey guys, I tried to do this and it didn't happen because of that reason, you know, call, call mm -hmm. men out on their bullshit when they don't let this happen. If you're trying to work on it. So like use your voice is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, and, and I think that there there's something to be said about, um, you know, we tend to criticize actresses more than actors. We tend to be mm -hmm. like, well, why isn't Natalie Portman working with more women? Or just like, well, here are all of these male actors who've never worked with a female director. Right. Um, you know, and, and we, we tend to do that. But at the, at the same time, I do think that there is a legitimacy to a certain degree uh, of the criticism because at the end of the day, men aren't going to do shit, right? <laughs> yep. And... 
And I do think that that actresses and powerful women in in Hollywood need to be the ones to step forward. You know, they can't just say like, well, the men aren't doing anything either. It's just like, no, but the men aren't going to. Like, that's that's the problem. Unless they're really forward thinking, unless they're really aware of their own privilege, they're not going to do anything. So you have to be the one to step up, Yeah. Uh, which sucks. And that's not the way that it should be. Women should not be the sole, you know, solely responsible for elevating other women. But that's kind of the place that we're at right now. And we have to sort of make that we have to keep on pushing forward with that. Um, so she's in a position of power. She has the power to do something about this. Like you said, she has the power to say, uh, I tried to do this and it didn't work. Um, and to, as you're saying, to bring awareness to that fact, because the men aren't going to. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, men get away with this shit all the time of yeah. like these weird performative things. What I keep thinking about, I was at Sundance this year and I kept thinking about last year and that 4% uh, initiative petition, whatever that was going around, and everyone was signing it. And I'm like, where are we on that? <laughs> How many of the people that signed that have actually signed on to work with female directors? Because it was supposed to be in the next two years, which uh, is at the end of this year. And it's like so many of the people that I saw that were really vocal about it, people like Natalie Portman, Charlize Theron, it's like, hmm, since that happened, they've only worked with male directors. So. Maybe we need to send yeah. a reminder. Yeah, there's a lot of performance going on. Yep. I think that that's part of it. And and it's a question of what is there actually going to be a change? And there is there has been statistically there has been a little bit of a change. Mm-hmm. But it's by no means is it the is it the the uh, in the in the total direction that we actually need to be moving. Right. Yeah. Um but speaking of that, there was this weird uh, conversation going on this year, both before the Oscars happened and then also afterwards, like after we saw the winners, and it was about women, all women, versus men of color, because this was a significant year where we had the best director, Asian, we had the, for I believe, the very first time ever, the screenplay winners for both adapted and original screenplay men of color people of color Mm -hmm. and that's significant that's huge um there i mean there were a lot of categories where that was happening and people were rightfully so complaining about the lack of female nominees and a couple of times the lack of female winners but in doing so there was this just really unsettling uh narrative that was taking place that like blamed all men for this and and was not taking the time to celebrate the fact that we had some big milestones for people of color mm-hmm. lauren what were some of your thoughts about that well what kind of set me off about this was that there was an article uh on a particular website that i'm not going to reference right here uh but it was written by a white man uh, that was lamenting the fact that greta gerwig didn't win uh for little women and and i have to say I was very happy that Taika Waititi won. I would have been very happy if Greta Gerwig won. I think that both of those films were were fantastically written. They were good adaptations for completely different films and for completely different reasons. Uh, Both of those would have been reason to celebrate. And I think that there's no reason to, to, you know, denigrate Waititi's accomplishment um, because Gerwig didn't win or vice versa if that had happened. 
but one of the issues that that began popping up was that you're like, oh, you you know, you're elevating um, you're elevating this white woman over this indigenous man, and I saw a lot of people actually accusing women of being racist. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. This is an article and this is something that is being propagated by white men that are setting up this binary between all women, right, um, and men of color. So it's either women get things or men of color get things, but not both. And of course, the problem is that there shouldn't be just one place that can be filled by someone from a, a big quotation marks minority group and all of the rest of them are filled by white men. And that's the problem. The problem is not that, you know, Greta Gerwig didn't win or that Taika Waititi won. The problem is that Greta Gerwig was really the only woman who was being nominated for anything, for any of the big awards. And and yeah, she's a white woman. We need to have, we needed to have Lulu Wang in there. We needed to have Mariel Heller in there. We needed to have um, uh, Alma Harrell and, and uh, you know, at some point, we need to have Ava DuVernay needs to be back in there when she makes another film. All of that stuff, and that's that's important, right? So, But there is not this fake competition, or there should not be this competition going on between men and between women and men of color. It, it has to, we got to get rid of some of the white dudes. They're the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, the fact that in a... Best picture, be, sorry, best director lineup. You have four white men and one person of color who is also male. Yeah. In a year that had amazing films like Honey Boy and, uh, oh my gosh, my brain. I'm already on to 2020, so now I'm like forgetting Hustlers. stuff. But yeah. Um, sure. Hustlers, The Farewell, uh, yeah. Book Smart. Yeah. All these amazing films that were every bit as good as uh once upon a time in hollywood or joker <clears throat> something better uh let's face it but um but yeah and the fact that this the solution that a, the p- bunch of people who serve to uh, I, I think what i'm seeing is that no in fact i know what i'm seeing is that a lot of people feel uh, a lot of white men, I should be specific, uh, feel their clout slipping away. They feel their mm-hmm. their um, their hold on the industry diminishing as more voices start to come in and more people get to tell their stories. And they're grasping onto that. And the way to do that is to try to pit us against each other, to pit women, to pit white women against people of color, to pit women against men of color and say well we could we can't succeed if you are and if we want to succeed you can't that's not that's not the case that's not how it works but white men are the ones that benefit from making us think that it is and yeah it's you know sorry to bring up star wars but it's uh (laughs) something in the last two films where they talk about especially in the last film where they talk about, you know, how the the bad guys win by making you think that you're all alone and that's that's what we see happening. They see they see the the representation is starting to change. They're seeing a more diverse body. I mean, I think and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but um 
you know, there are almost 9,000 members of the Academy now. Over the last three years, the the movement to include more people from, uh, from the international, like from outside of the United States, more people of color, more women, it's really starting to be clear what that means for what becomes an Oscar movie and what's mm-hmm. happening with the industry. And I think that there are a bunch of people that are really feeling threatened by that, which is really too bad because this isn't against them. It's not that they're being threatened. It's not that they can't still make their films. It's just that a lot of voices now get to be heard and a lot of people get to tell their stories and there's room for everyone. Yeah, there's still only one best picture, but that if that's the reason that you're making movies, you're doing it wrong and you're in this business for the wrong reason. The point is to tell the stories and at the end of the year, the awards are fun to say, hey, this was a great year of film. Let's celebrate it. And by the way, here's what you picked as your favorite. Mm-hmm. And well, but yeah. But it's it's very it's very similar to like a, a, a group of kids or something like that where one kid gets the gets all of the cake except for one slice and the rest of the kids are left to fight over the one slice. Right. And if you say to that one kid, Okay, now you're gonna have to share your cake, he's gonna get mad about it because he's been so used to getting most of the cake. And that and that's that's the problem that we're seeing. He's a lot of these men. And I don't, I think that many of them aren't aware of it. I think that many of them are just saying like, well, no, this is how the world works. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And that's the problem. And it's keeping everybody else down except for you. You're the one who is getting most of the cake. And so then when you begin cutting into his slice, then suddenly it's like, well, you're stealing my cake. It's like, no, it's everybody's by the way. And you've had way too much for way too long. You're getting fat. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and so yeah this year we saw some really exciting moves toward you know a more inclusive um a more inclusive slate of winners um which honestly considering who was nominated it was pretty surprising how diverse that uh that group of winners managed to be and it was very exciting to see that. We had Hildur Gudnadotter, who was the first woman to even be nominated for original score in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one was Rachel Portman for Chocolat. Um, I think it was Chocolat. Um, but yeah, so she won. Um, and she's just such a delightful human being. I adore her. Um, we're not going to talk about what she won for because I'm just happy for her because she did great work and it was celebrated. And the thing is that it wasn't just recognized because she's a woman. It was recognized because it was actually great work. And, um, that's another one of those things where I wish people would, would be aware of that, or at least not try to act like, Oh, she just won because people wanted to see women win. It's like, well, yeah, they did. But she also really deserved it. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do, you know? And I mean, it was, I was, I was in this weird, speaking of just like men versus women and stuff, like I was in this weird quandary where I really like her and I really wanted her to win, but I also really wanted Thomas Newman to win. And I, I think he did amazing work for 1917. I think it's some of the best music he's ever written. And he's been nominated like 15 times and he's never won an Oscar. And so it was like, I really wanted both of them to win. And of course, ties are exceptionally rare. Um, 
And it was like, you know, in the end, it was her, and I'm happy for her. I'm not going to focus on, like, oh, poor Thomas Newman, you know? It's because he'll, he'll mm-hmm. be back. He's not going anywhere. So, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, and we just, we need to stop being stirred up to, to fight against each other. Because, like you say, I mean, the one that we're really mad at is the kid with all the cake. And, yeah. And uh, we just need to go get our pieces of cake. Everybody can have it. Everybody can share. We got some great questions about the Oscars. So we're going to do that. um, And then we'll go back around to the other stuff. Um, So let's see. First up. Let's see. Actually, we're going to go with this question first because the Spirit Awards were also last weekend. And I was there for that, (laughs) too. And so this question is from at Reese Pie. The only thing I really want to know is how close Karen Peterson got to Matthias Schonertz at Spirit Awards last weekend. Um, I'm very sorry to disappoint you, but I didn't ever actually see him last weekend. He didn't do the red carpet or, well, I think he did, but, or the blue carpet, but he only stopped at a couple of people and I didn't get to talk to him. However, I did interview him last year for the Mustang and, um... I met him at Sundance and he is very, very insanely good looking in person. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you can read that interview at award circuit. In fact, I can link it in the show notes if you want. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Let's see. LOD asks, this is from at musical LO. I was wondering if people keep complaining about how the Oscars are suddenly a national award show. Did, pe- did people share the same complaints when the artist won? Dujardin didn't even win the Cesar here. Do you think they might do like the BAFTAs and create U.S. categories? So I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think that the national award show conversation actually came out of a joke that Bong Joon-ho made at... I don't remember if it was now. I, there's been so many things. We've seen him for so many months now. Um, I don't remember if it was in an interview or if it was in an acceptance speech at one of the shows, but he called the Oscars a regional show and yeah. or a regional contest, I think. And so people just kind of caught on to that. And so I think that's where that started. It was just as a joke. And, and I don't think that most people really see it that way. I mean, South Korea was celebrating well into Tuesday when <laughs> Parasite won because they were all watching. It was on really early Monday morning there. I was reading articles about how, like, businesses were closed for the day because people wanted to watch the Oscars and then celebrate um, Parasite winning. So uh, I think that more than ever this year, it became a very international show. It became a global experience. And so I think that... Now that that hurdle has happened, the first non-English language film ever, um, and and don't get me wrong, I don't think this is going to become a regular thing where like every year or every couple years we're going to have these nominees and possible winners and, and repeat winners, but it definitely makes the show feel less regional, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and within the past few years, it's begun to feel less and less regional because of these uh, things like parasite aroma um mm-hmm. or even even the artist uh yeah. that that it's been moving more in that direction of being more international of course at the same time they're they still predominantly nominate hollywood films 
um, they still predominantly nominate English language films. And, you know, whether or not that is going to change in the future, I would hope that it would, given that we live in a global culture and that in the United States, in- inclusive, we speak a lot of different languages. Um, so I think that there is, I think, actually, I think the Bong Joon-ho's criticism is very, very valid. Uh, you know, he was making a joke, but it's also a, a valid point, is that the Oscars, for the most part, has been very, very focused on... Uh, the English language and you know the fact that we constantly have uh, all of these different great films from various countries competing in a single category usually for best international feature Um, or before that it was best foreign language feature right this is the first year that they've done best international Um, you know that that in itself implies that all of the others uh, are expected, even if they may, might not necessarily be in practice, but they are expected to be English language, probably Hollywood produced films. Um, so yeah, I actually think that we're moving in the opposite direction of, of it becoming more and more international, uh, and there's still going to be pushback from that. Like that, this is not going to like you're saying this is not going to change overnight. It's just going to, but it's moving incrementally in in a more global direction, which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, this year we also had, and this has happened before. This wasn't the first time, but we had one of the uh, feature, the animated features, was from France. I lost my body. Which mm-hmm. have you watched that? I have not yet. It's I know it's on my Netflix list. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's it's very unusual. It's wonderful. I loved it. And it's actually, so it's a French animated film, and it's in the French language, but it's about a Moroccan kid. So, um, so and the fact that that got nominated was pretty great. And then last year, uh, not only did you have Roma um, getting into the lineup for Best uh, Picture, and winning um, uh, foreign language film, yeah, I gotta, I gotta keep reminding myself that's what it's called. But um, you also had some really interesting things happen, like with cinematography, where you had, um, I think it was cinematography, yeah, you had three films that were all international films that were nominated for cinematography over. Uh, very American films, you know? And so you had uh, Cold War from Poland. You had Never Look Away from either Germany or Austria. I think Germany. Uh, And you had Roma from Mexico. And so that's huge. And I think those kinds of things, when you start not just seeing films from the Best International lineup make it into Best Picture, but when you start seeing them pick up nominations for things uh, in the crafts, which I'm trying to get people to stop calling it below the line, but that's what it's still known as. Um, But when you start seeing awards picking up in other places, like, I mean, we had last year, look at the directing lineup. We had uh, Spike Lee for Black Klansman. And then we had um, Paul Polakowski for Cold War, who is Polish. We had Yorgos Lanthimos, who is Greek. We had Alfonso Cuaron, who is Mexican. And then Adam McKay. I mean, you know, there's always got to be one. But what an amazing lineup last year for directing. And so we're seeing more and more of this. This year we also had Macedonia's international uh, nominee was also nominated for uh, um, documentary feature. So you are seeing a lot more 
movement to include more international Mm -hmm. films. And it's really exciting to see. And I think that this is just going to continue to be the case. And I think that it's not a regional award show anymore. And I think a big reason for that is because they've been moving to diversify the Academy and make it look more like the industry at large. Uh, Okay, this actually kind of is a tangent off of that last point. Um, So this question is from Mason at Unstoppable Unstoppable Rant. Has something changed about the Oscars? Moonlight, The Shape of Water, and Parasite are films that wouldn't have won Best Picture 10 years ago. What do you think has changed? So part of it, like we've talked about, is just broadening the Academy and and including a lot more uh, non-white American men into the group. Uh, I also think that things like Netflix and Amazon and uh, these other services have opened people up to watching a lot of movies they might not normally have watched, whether they're international or there's something like Moonlight, which is a very American film, but about people that we're not used to getting to see on screen and not used to seeing stories told that way. So I think that there's a lot of factors at play there. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's about it. That it's the market has expanded. I, and we, we can take the world is becoming more and more um, integrated in a certain sense where there's a lot more exchange going on. And part of that is because of streaming and, and also because we get to know various directors. So someone like, uh del toro who you know wins for the shape of water he's been very sort of well known both as an as an a quote american filmmaker in the sense that he's making films in america uh in the english language and then also as a mexican filmmaker and so those things begin to sort of meld together and i think that we're going to see something similar um with i I think that we are seeing something similar with bong joon ho because his films have been such big events like things like snowpiercer um have been so major films or or interesting films uh in 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 the english language conversation so then when you go back to things like parasite or uh or some of his earlier films there's more of an engagement there's more like oh it's his new film so you're not really worried about what language it's in you're worried about the fact that this is the new film by by bong joon ho yeah Uh, so yeah yeah it was uh it was funny in that maddening, I want to punch somebody in the face kind of way. Um, there was a video. <laughs> There's a guy, I'm not going to name him. He is a YouTuber that uh, does has a movie podcast. And either the night at, of the Oscars or maybe he recorded it the next day. He did this whole rant about being so angry that Parasite won Best Picture. And, and what he was trying to say so that he could pretend not to be racist about it was that like because it won international feature it shouldn't have been eligible for best picture and that you shouldn't be able to compete in both he kept trying to say like i wouldn't have cared if it was joker or little women when he kept also talking about how joker was his favorite film so obviously he did care uh and then he talks about how he had not actually seen parasite <laughs> Yeah. I remember this, yeah. Yeah. Well, yesterday I was scrolling around on Twitter and someone um mentioned the dude that had that complained about Parasite winning Best Picture finally watched Parasite 
and surprise, he liked it. <laughs> and someone else linked the video and I watched it. And of course, he still had to make his his jabs of like, well, you still shouldn't be able to compete in both. And I still liked Joker. But Parasite's a really good movie and everyone should watch it. And it's like, oh, imagine that. It turns out that the movie that won Best Picture is actually a good movie. And <laughs> you should have listened. And maybe you shouldn't have gone on that stupid rant and made yourself look like an imbecile. Anyway, the point is, try out international films. They're awesome. There's lots yeah, of really, really, really great stuff out there. There's There's a whole world of countries. And they're all making movies. This year we had... 92 countries submit films for the international Oscar consideration. 92. It's the most ever. And from countries like Nepal and Paraguay and these tiny little places that nobody ever travels. Well, people travel to Nepal, but uh, just like these places that, um, you know, just are kind of off the beaten path. They're not the big tourist destinations, most of them. And, they have film industries and they're making movies and they're telling Mm -hmm. their stories. And it's really exciting to see that. And I would love to see the Academy actually expand the international feature category and make that 10 nominees too. Why not? Let's celebrate the world of film that we're in. As far as the second part of that question, will they start to do like a, uh, like the BAFTAs do and create us categories? Cause like the BAFTAs, they have the best British film. I don't think that, I hope the Academy never goes down that road and says, oh, the best American film. I think they kind of, kind of tried to a couple years ago when they, when they announced that best, um, popular film category that died. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, I mean, (laughs) you don't get more American than calling it popular film, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I, Mm. I don't, I hope they never do that. They got so much push pushback with that that I highly doubt that they're going to go that route again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then Brendan from at BLC Agnew asked, what is the most pleasantly unexpected Oscar win aside from Parasite? Lauren? Unexpected. I'm trying to think if there was anything that I was like, oh, that's unexpected. Other than Parasite. Like, I, 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 I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't completely unexpected, but I was also perfectly prepared for the Academy to go the in the direction of, like, uh, we're going to award the straight white men or, like, things like that. I guess just a little bit Taika Watiti, although I know that he was kind of favored. Um, I was very happy about that. That one made me, like, excited. Um, maybe Best Original Song? A little bit. Frozen didn't. Frozen two didn't get anything. That surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I also have to say again, I was very drunk for a lot of the Oscars, <laughs> so I wasn't paying attention the entire time. <laughs> I just remember like shouting things and being like, "Yeah, John!" And like, "Why the <laughs> fuck is Eminem here? What is happening?" We're all still wondering that. Uh, I honestly, like, I turned to my roommate and, and I, I was like, is this happening? Is this something that's happening? Or am I, like, hallucinating? Because I know that I've had a lot to drink. So is what's going on here? He was like, yeah, no, this is happening. I was like, okay, good. All right. Eminem is performing for some reason. It was so funny because someone had been in the interview room when that whole thing started. 
And so it was like that person, whoever, I don't remember who it was, but when they finished and they left, there was a lull. We didn't have anybody ready coming in right then. And so we all turned back to the monitors and, and everyone in that room was like, what? What's, why is Eminem here? What's going on? It was just like this, this big confusing moment of like, well, I mean, this is kind of awesome, but why? <laughs> Yeah, like, what is happening right now? What Have we, like, time warped? That's what I felt. I was like, wait, what year is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, For me, I didn't have, like I said, at some point in the last month, I've predicted every single thing that won, even if that wasn't in my very final predictions. But So I wouldn't say that I had any unexpected wins, but I was very, very happy that Bong ended up winning director. Because... It was still very much between him and Sam Mendes, and it really easily could have gone either way. As soon as they announced that he won, I went, okay, there you go. Parasite won Best Picture. That's awesome. But it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he was going to. It seemed like the tide had turned enough in his direction, but Sam Mendes had won DGA and PGA and mm-hmm. BAFTA, and I don't remember, I know I should know this, but uh, it's been like 15, 20 years since that happened where I think, I think, uh, Ang Lee was the last one for Brokeback Mountain and then Crash. I think it was that year, um, was the last time that the person that was, that won all that stuff ended up not went, no, cause Ang Lee, I don't know. Anyway, it was a surprise that it actually happened and it was very exciting and Mm -hmm. I'm very happy for him. He's such a delightful human being and, um, and just like watching the the footage of him and seeing all the pictures of him like making his Oscars kiss and um just staring like just gazing lovingly at them and I mean <laughs> what a classy person that in his acceptance speech he leads a standing ovation for Martin Scorsese his <laughs> hero who he has just beaten yeah. at an Oscar you know that was amazing and yeah I mean, we've talked about my feelings for Tarantino and yours too, but but to also recognize in his speech, to recognize that Quentin Tarantino was instrumental in getting his film seen here in the United States. Tarantino yeah. was one of the very first one of one of his very first American fans. And the fact that he took time to recognize them and then he's like, Oh yeah, and I hear Todd Phillips makes movies too. Uh <laughs> Yeah, see that um, I loved that about the speech. It's like Scorsese who is who's a genius and whom I have admired my entire life and Tarantino who's advocated for me and I'm led to believe that you two make movies as well. <laughs> Yeah, which was really funny considering that he was close to losing to Sam, but whatever. It's fine. It was great. It was such a great moment. And yeah, I just, I loved everything about that. Um, Any final Oscar thoughts? Uh, I think we, do we, we have one on? more question? Do we? What is the worst movie to ever win Best Picture? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Missed that one. Uh, that's from at Noah Saturn. What is the worst movie to ever win best picture? What is the best movie to win best picture? Uh, I was looking, so I was actually like just scanning through here, here are the the movies that have, uh, that have won. So I, so yeah, I was, I was looking at them and I was like, Oh, actually, you know, like scanning through from like the very, very beginning scanning through, I was like, Oh, actually there are a lot of really good ones. You know, maybe some that, that are not my preferences, but they're still good films. Right. 
And then I began getting into the more modern period and I was like, oh, they do begin (laughs) to suck. (laughs) I think, I, I mean, I would probably say Green Book is the worst just in terms of the quality of the film. Um, I am mm-hmm. not a fan of Titanic, uh, nor am I, but I, 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 it's a, it's a well-made film. Um, I'm also not a fan of Argo, mm. which I'd completely forgotten one. Yeah. Everybody forgets about that one. Um, what about best? I have no idea that that's one where I'm just like, there's, there've been so many good ones for different reasons, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, like I, I don't. It's some of them. I'm, I'm like, you know, I can't. It's like me making a top ten list. Like I can't compare these films because they're, they're very good films, but they do completely different things. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I think for me, the worst winner is Driving Miss Daisy. I hate that movie so oh, much. Yeah. I hate it, <laughs> and I love Jessica Tandy. I love Morgan Freeman. I hate that movie. With a fiery passion. And, yeah. So, I think that, to me, is the worst one. Um, But I agree with you. As far as best, it's like, there's so many great films that have won. Even if they weren't my pick for that year. Even if they aren't on my, like, favorite movies of all time. They're just great, great films. You know, All About Eve. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, The Godfather. And... um, yeah, there's some really great stuff. The Oscars generally do pretty well with the with the best picture, even if it's not the one that maybe should win. They're always deserving. Well, usually deserving. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to talk about uh, Birds of Prey? I'm always ready to talk about Birds of Prey. I've been talking about Birds of Prey since I saw it <laughs> twice this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay well we have a question and we have a topic and then we're gonna get into our review of birds of prey so um well actually let's do the topic first can a superhero or any big budget film be feminist are basically are they inherently not feminist and and can they ever be it was a weird topic that happened on twitter where someone said that no superhero film can ever be feminist. It's not possible. Lauren, what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, the answer is yes, it can be feminist. <laughs> and and that, that's it. Like, I, I don't even know. I, I can't believe that this is a conversation. I, I think that, and I, I understand some of the objections that people have made about corporate feminism and the corporatization of feminism that we're going to kind of, oh, this is the, it's, it's almost like a trend, you know, this is the new hot thing. So that's what we're going to try to do. And there's definitely criticism to be made there. But I think that some of the best feminist or anti-racist or uh, progressive films have actually been made within the system. And that's one of the ways that you begin to change the system is by saying like this, this kind of thing should be acceptable. This kind of thing um, needs to be talked about in kind of a big budget way. Uh, I've said before that one of the things I really admire about Thor Ragnarok is the fact that Taika Waititi managed to sneak in an anti-colonialist narrative in a <laughs> film, in a big budget superhero film about a Norse god. Like I think that that's really spectacular, and I think that. There have been similar things that have happened with feminism, uh, in, including the film that we are just about to discuss. 
where you managed to sneak, not sneak in necessarily, but craft a feminist narrative and a progressive narrative that acknowledges all of the complexities of, of being female um, within this, this franchise where it's sort of saying, okay, so this is, this is a franchise that people are going to go see. So let's actually, you know, use it to do something new and to do something different. I think that, uh, Mad Max Fury Road is a perfect example of that. You know, it took this ridiculously testosterone fueled franchise and it was just like, and now we're going to make a movie about how patriarchy is evil and damaging and look at all of the women. And we're going to keep the male lead silent for three quarters of the film. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Like, so of course these kinds of films can be feminist. Yeah. I can't imagine looking at Wonder Woman and saying that Patty Jenkins made a movie that's not feminist. You know, I mean, the whole thing about Wonder Woman is she gets into the middle of this brutal war and realizes that the way to fix this isn't through more violence. It's through love. And and she is a person that can she can kill everybody if she wants to she has that ability but she chooses not to because she's strong because she has the ability to decide for herself and she has a mind of her own and uh you know i look at captain marvel and these other superhero Mm -hmm. films that are all about standing up to powerful men who try to hold women back and you know and in both of those cases women are working with male allies that are helping them accomplish their goals and those men recognize their abilities and stand back and let them do what they got to do yeah support them yeah exactly so i I just this was such a weird thing that happened and i was especially astonished that it was a woman that said it i just i couldn't i couldn't figure that out (laughs) i was just like i don't i don't understand why you think that this is not possible and she never really clarified that either. So, uh, or else if she did, I didn't see her clarification yeah. later. But it was very weird. But, um, but it does lead into our conversation about Birds of Prey. And before we get into really talking about the movie, we did have one other question from LOD, which is at Musical Elo. Because I'm a professional late person, I don't know if you talked about this in the previous podcast. Good news, we didn't. So you're not late at all. Uh, what did you think of the marketing campaign for Birds of Prey? And do you think it will do what Aquaman did and take its time to get a good box office with the help of word of mouth? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I suspect this is going to do more of what Ghostbusters 2016 did, where it's going to do gangbusters on streaming. And I think it, I, I, it's still going to make money in the theaters i mean it almost made back its budget worldwide last week and everyone kind of forgot to talk about that part they just wanted to focus on oh it undersold but um i i kind of suspect that some of the damage has already been done because there are a lot of people that were really celebrating the fact that it didn't make a hundred million dollars opening weekend and so I, th- I don't think that the box office is going to turn around substantially, especially this weekend. You've got a very family-friendly movie that people are actually saying is pretty good, and that's Sonic. Um, 
But I think that this is going to have a very long shelf life, if that makes sense. I think this is going to stick around for years once it leaves the theaters and people find it at home and realize, oh, this is actually a pretty good movie. Kind of like that dude realizing Parasite was actually a pretty good movie. So, uh, yeah. What do you think? I mean, I, I think, you know, and I think both of us sort of exist in this in this world where a lot of the people that we interact with about films are film people, right? So people who know the, the backstories, who know kind of what types of films are, are this is, what type of film this is. And one of the things that I noticed is that I began advocating to some of my non-film friends, just like, oh my God, you guys, you love this movie, go see it. And they were like, really? It's like, because it's like, it looks just like, it doesn't look great and all this. And then I began saying like, well, it's directed by a woman, like Margot Robbie produced it. Uh, it's it's this very feminist. And so as I began talking about it, they were suddenly like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know? And so I think that what a lot of people were, were seeing was like, oh, it's a Harley Quinn movie. Um, you know, Suicide Squad sucked. <laughs> I yeah. don't, I don't really want to to go down this road again. And uh, and they they weren't realizing what was actually existing underneath that. So it had an uphill battle at that level. I don't know. I mean, it actually, and uh, there've been a number of articles saying like that this that although this came under uh, underperformed in terms of expectations, it has actually done very very well by every other metric. So mm-hmm. I, I think that we have this tendency that whenever a new superhero film is released or comic book movie is released, if it doesn't break records, it's a failure. Uh, and that seems to be what's happening here. It hasn't broken records, therefore it's a failure, but it actually seems to be something of a success. Uh, I, I think that we'll have to wait and see and see how it continues to perform. I know every single i've been to see it twice now both screenings i was in were packed and everyone was having a good time so that's my I'm going again evidence. this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> i am this close to going again third time do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well uh let's talk about birds of prey since we did not talk about it last week because you hadn't seen it yet and i didn't want to do a review until you had so yeah. Um, Lauren, I am going to turn it over to you because you <laughs> have been over the moon. Sorry, spoilers for what your review is about to be if people haven't read it on our website yet. Um, but yeah, you love this movie. So why don't you talk about why? <laughs> yes, I, lo- I loved it. Uh, I had several people, including you, Karen, say to me, that it's like, oh, this movie was made for you. I was like, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, and then I went, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this movie was made specifically for me it kathy ann was just like you know what we need to do we need to make a movie for lauren and and i was thank you so much Uh, yeah i i loved it i loved it like um i'm not gonna go into the the whole all the details of plot and and everything because i kind of do that in my review on the website but i just think it is it's it's a cathartic film there it is very violent which i was happy about there's like it actually deals with um very some very serious issues not just of violence against women but also of, of trauma of recovering from manipulation and from abuse of the fact that you can't completely recover from it that this is always something uh that is going to shape you and but that you can make a choice about what sort of person you want to be and um it is very much about women of all kinds and for all different reasons sort of liberating themselves from the 
the patriarchy from the the control of men and saying like you know we we're important and we're uh and we're strong and and we're we're talented where we actually have something to offer the world beyond what we're being told we should offer and i i just i loved it it's it's so energetic it's funny it's you know brutally violent in some places but it's also very kind of happy cartoon violence in in others it was very very satisfying to just watch these women beat the shit out of misogynists for two hours <laughs> like there's just it was so cathartic for me i was like yes please do this more just like can we have more of this it's a little <laughs> like god um Margot Robbie is having the time of her life. Like, I, I think that she she's just, like, directing all of the aggression that she has ever felt mm-hmm. uh, about being being a very beautiful woman in a very misogynistic society and in a, in a very misogynistic business. And she's just going to fucking town on it. She's obviously having a great time. Everyone in it is, is good. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I wish that... I understand why she wasn't in it more. I wish that she had been just because I really enjoyed her. Uh, mm-hmm. Rosie Perez. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the, of the young girl who plays Cassandra Kane, but she is, she was wonderful. Uh, I loved her characterization. Um, and, and also Ewan McGregor, you know, props, props to Ewan McGregor for playing one of the most disgusting villains <laughs> uh, and making him both interesting to watch, but also completely unlikable. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, I want to know more about this guy. Just like, no, I want him to die a horrible, horrible death. <laughs> uh, and that, that was wonderful. So, yeah, I, I loved I honestly loved every minute of this film. And I loved it even more the second time I saw it because I actually got to pay more attention to some of the quieter moments. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film. I loved it. I loved it all. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because, I mean, obviously I've known about this movie for months. I knew it was coming. I was not interested because I, you know, because Suicide Squad is so terrible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I was, I was just like, well, I'll see it because I have to. There were a couple, I run the film department at Award Circuit. I'm the assistant editor. And so I make the assignments for reviews. And two of the guys both asked me like, oh, can I do Birds of Prey? And I was like, no, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm doing that one. Even though I didn't want to see the movie, I knew that I needed to be the one to write that review because I'm the only woman in my department currently. Uh, I'm working on that. But um, but yeah, I was just like, no, I'm going to write this. But I was still not looking forward to it. And then when I was at Sundance, they did a media screening here in L.A. And the embargo broke. And so I was seeing all these tweets from people about like, oh, my gosh, Birds of Prey is actually really good. And they're from people like women that I really respect. And I tend to agree with them on stuff, not on everything, but you know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. just hearing the buzz, I was like, huh. Maybe I got this wrong. And then someone circulated the clip of during a big fight scene where Harley passes a hair tie to Black Canary. Uh-huh. And I was just like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> like, that was the moment where I was like, all right, they got that right. They got everything right. I'm yeah. sure of it. Like, this is going to be something really special. And so I got to see it the week after I got back from Sundance. 
And it, I was just smiling the whole time. I was so into it. I loved it. I was laughing my face off. I was sitting with, uh, with my friend Jazz, and we were just having the best time. And then after it was over, we're walking out of the theater just, like, buzzing with how much we loved it. And we ran into this guy who is also in HCA with us. And, and we're like, hey, how did you like it? And he goes, he goes, that movie was a piece of shit holy shit like that was awful and we just looked at him like okay well conversation over bye (laughs) we just didn't we didn't even talk about our thoughts we were just like forget it there's no point there's no point in getting into it you know um but yeah i was so excited about it i loved it so much i loved the characters uh i agree with you i wish there had been more mary elizabeth winstead i also wish there had been more um more black canary more journey uh smollett yeah, Journey Small Bell. Um, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. I love her. I really want a separate movie for her because she's so much fun, and we got to see just a tiny bit that she actually has superpowers, and I wanted to know more about that. Yeah, sorry if that's a spoiler. Yeah, but it was very cool. I, th- I think that we can talk about spoilers. Uh, All right. So just oh warn- yeah, we were gonna do a spoilery episode, weren't we? So, so just to warn everybody, we, we are going to talk about spoilers because there are things that I want to discuss as well. Yeah. Um, so if you don't, if you haven't seen the movie yet, turn this off, come back later and finish listening after you watch the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved Black Canary. I liked the fact that, um, I like the fact that, like I was saying, that there are all of these different female characters who it's not, they're not just like all have been abused by men or anything like that. They're all trying to navigate a very patriarchal and very dangerous world for women mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to survive. And, and Black Canary is a wonderful, um, is a wonderful example of that because, so she starts out as like, she's a, she's a singer and, uh, and she's, she's Roman Sionis's who's played by Ewan McGregor. She's his singer. And then at a certain point, she becomes his chauffeur and his driver. And so she, and this entire time, she's got this kind of dichotomy going on because on the one hand, she is not a bad person. She does want to help people. She does want to protect people, but she's also trying to survive and she's trying to keep herself safe as much as she tries to do small things in order to keep other people safe. Um, and you know, and there's, there's that moment, uh, when she's, she's leaving the club and she sees Harley being kind of pawed at by the very drunk Harley being pawed at by this man. And she is about to walk away. And then she's like, you know what? I, ca- I can't fucking walk away. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. let this happen. Um, cause, and she knows what's, what's happening and she turns around and she's actually like, okay, I'm going to do something about this. But that, that dichotomy keeps on getting played with throughout the entire film. And they do that with her character. They do that with Harley. They do that with, um, with Renee and with Huntress, this kind of like, we have to exist in isolation and we have to keep ourselves safe. And then it's as soon as they actually begin making connections with each other, that, that, uh, things actually, that they can actually do something versus just trying to be safe. And it's a really powerful message, actually, about the community of women. Yeah. And it's one of the things that, I mean, it culminates in something so simple as that hair tie in the middle of the fight scene. Yeah. And why that mattered to me was, I mean, it's a hair tie. Who cares? But why that really mattered was because you have these women who are from totally different walks of life who 
for various reasons, have reasons to not work together. But they all do because they need to, and they they don't even question it. They're just like, yeah, okay, we have this common enemy. We need to deal with this. We're just going to do what we got to do. And the thing is that that is how women work. Most of the time, that is just, that's what we do. We set aside our differences and just get shit done because it needs to be. And that's not the story that men like to tell. They love these stories about women fighting against each other and women not getting along. And uh, so I'm going to get a little bit personal for a minute. So I went on a mission for my church 20 years ago. And uh, at the time, it was less common for girls to go. I mean, they did. There were a lot of us, but it was definitely not like it is now where it's like a lot of girls go uh, on these missions. And one of the things that some of the guys told me was that they were always reluctant when they had to work with the girls because the girls always fight and they had heard all these stories about like knock down drag out fights in their apartments and I was just like what are you talking about and it was like every person that I was paired up with the whole year and a half we got along and even if we even if we weren't friends during that process we we made it work because we had to live together we had to work together And we just did, you know, and that's the reality of women. But for some reason, men have this weird idea that women always are pitted against each other, probably because they're the ones doing the pitting, um, but that we can't figure out a way to get along. And I don't know where that narrative started. I don't know why it's perpetuated, but thank goodness we have people like Kathy Ann making movies now and showing that, no, the reality is that women will come together when they need to. And they, they will work together how they know how to use each other's skills. They know how to make things work and like, oh, you can do this. Great. You're on that. You go over here because you can, you have this skill, you have that ability, you know? And that's what we see throughout Birds of Prey, not just in this big, you know, climactic fight scene, but throughout the movie as they're making plans, as they're just getting into positions and meeting each other and figuring out you know, where they need to go. They're constantly cooperating in whatever way they need to. And it's like, it's just such a, it's so nice to actually see that happen on screen because for so many years, that's not the way it's been. There's always been like a woman in a man's world. Yeah. And seeing this in a big, you know, five women coming together for a common goal. It's just great. And I can't wait for more movies like this. Yeah. And I, and I like the I like the fact that it builds throughout the film that you do kind of start with all of them in isolation and making feints towards each other. Um, mm-hmm. The conversation actually in in watching it a second time the conversation between Harley and um, and Black Canary when she's just finished singing and Harley is incredibly drunk <laughs> and yeah. and standing at the bar and is talking about loneliness and and she. Black Canary is the first person that she tells that that she's broken up with the Joker, which of course is a is not just an issue of the dissolution of a relationship, but is a serious danger. This is what's going to put Harley in danger for the rest of the film. Um, and and the first person that she tells is this woman that she barely knows, but that she desperately wants to have some kind of a connection, not to a man, but to another woman, for someone to understand her and to listen to her and be like, you know where I'm alone now and I don't know what to do. And so there, and there are those moments where it's like, oh, we're we're progressing towards this friendship that doesn't 
you know, happen overnight or anything like that. But that is, is actually these moments of these women trying to find connection to one another and that building over the course of the film until you finally get to the, the very, you know, joy in many ways, very joyful, um, ass kicking scene. (laughs) I love that scene so much. (laughs) And it's so, and I think one of the reasons why it's so satisfying is because of this slow buildup that it doesn't all happen overnight. It doesn't happen in the middle of the film. It slowly comes together over the course of everything and over the way that the characters change, especially Harley, because she's the one that we focus on the most. Um, Until you actually get to this moment where it's like, okay, we're all in this together now. We've made a decision. Harley in particular has made a decision. I am not going to let this happen to this girl, to this little girl. Um, And, and we have to all work together. And because of that, it's like, all right, so we're going to work together. I also, one of the small moments that I love is where like Huntress like rides down on the corpse of like a guy that she's just killed with her arrow <laughs> and like down this, this slide and she like slides to a stop and everyone is staring at her and she's like, what? <laughs> and Harley goes, you are so cool. <laughs> just that moment of like, oh my God, that was awesome that is so awesome um just just that i mean i have that when we do this podcast like there are times where i'm like man lauren you're so smart but except that feeling of just like wow you are so cool that's so cool yeah uh and and it's true And, and it's something that women do experience with each other just that admiration of other women and that that at least in in my life and in my experience and i've i've been I've thankfully had a lot of very good friends, people that I really care about and that care about me. In my experience, that's the way that women react to each other. It's just like, it's not like, you know, oh, I fucking hate you, you bitch, because you, you're able to do something that I'm not able to. It's just like, oh my God, you can do that. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? And, yeah. And it's, sorry. No, I was just, and that's important to see on screen as well. Yeah, it definitely is. And that's, and that's the thing is, I think that that is much more normal than girls being bitter and jealous. And we see that on TV, especially like reality TV and stuff. And, but it's not how women typically really function. And I'm so glad that we're seeing more of realistic portrayals, even in a big cotton candy colored crazy violent movie mm-hmm. we're seeing much more realistic depictions of how women cooperate and how women work and how women think and i love it yeah no i agree i did i know we're, we might be running a little bit long but i did want to no, I, I wanted to ask your opinion because i have feelings about this but i'm not certain about them yet the diamonds sequence in so when, when harley actually hallucinates diamonds are a girl's best friend Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? What were your what was your interpretation of that? Because I have varying thoughts that are not entirely cohesive yet. Uh, see, I need to see the movie again because I I remember that I really liked that scene and I loved the way that it was staged, but I don't remember the specifics about it to be able to really give a good answer to that question. Okay. I'm sorry. I, no, I was just wondering because so I I obviously I, I saw the film a second time and of, of course what happens in the scene is that Harley is is uh, about to be killed and then basically manages to talk her way out of it and um, she keeps on talking at Sionis until finally in order to shut her up he hits her. 
uh, and he hits her very hard and she sort of flashes into this kind of uh, funhouse version of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend where she's you know in the Marilyn Monroe outfit and is singing the song and is dancing with Sionis and Zaz and, um, and all of these different men. And it's a very aggressive scene uh, where she's just surrounded by all of these men who are grabbing her and pulling her this way and that. And then, it, and then finally she kind of comes out of it and she just gives Sionis this look of like, I am going yes. to fucking kill you. Yeah. I, I, don't I remember that when. look. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when, but I am going to murder you. Uh, and it's a really powerful and intense sequence because, again, knowing the back, knowing her background, um, this is a woman who has been abused her entire life, and she has been manipulated and used by men her entire life, both physically. Like she and- makes a comment about. Doesn't she make a comment about her dad's trying to sell her for a six pack of beer or something? Yeah, her dad tries to sell her. Uh, he finally abandons her at an orphanage where she's raised by nuns. She goes yeah, through all these right. different relationships until she finally meets the Joker. You know, all oh, this, this is definitely a woman who's been damaged constantly, pretty much ever since she was a child. Uh, and, and, and not just physically, emotionally, psychologically, uh, up until the point that she gets into this very abusive relationship with the Joker. And this moment where this man hits her to make her be quiet then pushes her into this realm of like all of these different men who for the most part have their faces covered uh manipulating her moving her around and then she comes out of that and that that moment of her just being like there there's a change that happens there and i don't think it's necessarily that she's decided to change the way that her life exists the way that she lives her life but that she's not going to be slapped around anymore. I think that that is kind of what it comes down to. Um, that the relationship between that and the Marilyn Monroe number, and then also there's there's a, a ref, there's a referentiality there to um, uh, to Madonna's Material Girl, mm-hmm. uh, which the choreography actually in uh, in that particular sequence in Birds of Prey and the choreography in Material Girl are much more similar than the choreography in the Marilyn Monroe number. So there's this interesting continuum that is happening between Marilyn Monroe, who is kind of preaching this this sort of like, get what you can from them while you can, uh, to Madonna, who is much more being much more aggressive about it and is saying like, you know, either you give me money or I I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to fuck with you, essentially. Um, I, I don't want to be around you if you if you're not going to give me anything for it, and and then finally to Harley, he was sort of using that as a way of rejecting everything and being like, I'm going to do this, but I it's time for me to break free of this this cycle and this system, and I I don't know it's it's a really interesting sequence and I think that it's very deliberate. Um, and I'm not 100% certain how to interpret it. Like, I, I was just basically riffing on it. But uh, I would be interested to, to know if you have any further thoughts on it after you've seen it again, Karen. Yeah, I'm definitely going to pay close attention to that. What I, I remember the, the staging of it, and then I definitely remember that look she gives Roman. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I I have felt that before. Like, I know that I've looked at someone that way before. <laughs> it's like, 
that person is still alive. But um, <laughs> but, it, but it is that feeling of like, but, yeah. I can't do anything about it right now, but mm-hmm. you're going to suffer coming. for this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. It's so good. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and sorry, I will definitely pay closer attention. We'll have a good, good discussion about that. Uh, that scene. But the other thing that I, I just wanted to mention is that I really love the fact that they give you these glimpses and there's one particular moment, like right before that big fight scene, where they remind you that Harley has a PhD. She's a yeah. doctor. She's a psychiatrist and she's very smart. And despite everything that has gone on and you know, getting her brain fried and a vat of chemicals and stuff. Like, she's still in there. She's still this really smart person. And they let that come out sometimes and remind you that she knows what she's talking about. And I just, I really liked that a lot. And I think that that's major credit to both Kathy Ann and the screenwriter, Christina Hudson, for for reminding us of, of who Harley really is. Yeah. No, I, I, there's one point where she's like, call me dumb. I've got a PhD, motherfucker. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it's like, how often have you had that happen, Lauren, where people (laughs) question your brains and you're like, yeah, I actually literally wrote term papers on this subject. I think, but so many women have that experience. It's very much that, that function of being a woman in the world. Generally, it's just like, I've got a PhD, motherfucker. Leave me the fuck alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> you call me dumb yeah. like, yep exactly yeah any final thoughts it's a deeply satisfying film please people go see it you know it, it i it's very violent like I, I you do have to be prepared for that and there are definitely things in there i know that some women i've seen have actually said that it's very triggering for them because of the representations of trauma and violence but it is also a very very satisfying and very well-made film yeah yeah um there's one part that was very difficult for me to watch um just because of a traumatic experience i had involving breaking bones but um (laughs) (laughs) but it was just so awesome because of who it's happening to and what's going on and and yeah and like you you said i mean yeah it, it is very violent but like you pointed out at the beginning of this conversation a lot of it is very cartoon violence it's very um comic and so it's it's not like war where you're seeing, you know, bodies being blown apart by bombs. It's like it it's almost like just a hyper violent cartoon. And yeah. I don't know, for me some sometimes that's just different and uh it's just it just feels different and so yeah it made it much easier for me to watch it. Yeah, I actually think that some of the more disturbing sequences are are the the smaller things so the the guy trying to abduct harley um yeah the uh uh this the well i mean the face peeling scene is very violent <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. but again you don't see that oh, much zero. you don't see that much it's right. actually it's it's more about the implied violence <clears throat> exactly yeah it's like um, what you see in your head is so much worse than what you're actually seeing with your eyes and and also i have to say the uh the the way that the camera looks at, at women and in particular in certain scenes where I was deeply appreciative that it was not a man directing this film, uh, including the scene where Roman humiliates uh, one of his club goers and, and makes her dance on a table. 
And the way that that, that and that's a very disturbing sequence and it's very troubling. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it works so well because again, it is not sexualized particularly. It is not, it isn't about her. It's not about the camera looking at her and consuming her. It's about the fact that this man is so horrible and, and is so willing to just humiliate people, particularly women, because he's angry. Just because he's angry at something. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's very powerful in that it is so subtle and so subsumed that it, it doesn't do some of the things that we might expect it to do. Uh, and and yeah. in, in some ways, it's very difficult to watch as a result. But I, I like the fact that it wasn't sexualized, that it wasn't fetishized uh, mm-hmm. in in any sense, and that it wasn't like this. It, it wasn't there to titillate the audience. It was there to be like, you know, if you didn't get it, this is not just a man who peels off people's faces, which is horrible enough. Um, but this is a man who deeply hates women. Uh, yeah. And that that's an important part of his characterization, an important part of why of uh, why it's so important that the women are fighting back against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yeah, and uh, like reminding me of that table, the dancing scene. Um, one of the reasons that that's so significant that it was shot by a woman, that it was directed by a woman, is the fact that the way that it's stage the way that the camera works is it's to put you in her shoes and mm-hmm. to feel what she's feeling it's not to be secondhand embarrassed for her from the audience and seeing what the audience is seeing it's to really be in her head and to really feel her her emotions and yeah. i just think that's so so much more interesting and so much more powerful yeah and I think there's a lot of moments like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's also the point that I think Black Canary kind of makes a decision about what she mm-hmm. wants to be and who she wants to be yeah. and who she's working for. Yeah, absolutely. So go see Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn Birds of Prey. I guess they changed the name. I don't, I don't know. It's Birds I thought of- the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn was great. So. Yes, that that's the title. It's Birds of Prey and the <laughs> Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That is the title of the film. Yes. I don't care what the AMC says now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go see it again today. In fact, I just bought my ticket. So it'll be good. I'm excited. Uh, what do you got coming up this week, Lauren? Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I think I want to try to see The Lodge at some point. I am not going to go see Sonic right now. I just don't care that much. <laughs> I might see it at some point. Um, but yeah, there's not there's not much that I am desperate to see at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I even have anything scheduled this week. I don't think I do. Uh, I'm seeing Onward next weekend. The new Pixar Pixar movie. I'm actually pretty excited about that. Mm. I've seen some early footage of it. And it looked surprisingly good. Like once I, once I learned what it was really about, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I saw some footage that included um, feral unicorns eating out of garbage cans in the street, and I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm definitely in. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, well, that's gonna wrap things up this week. And um, thanks so much for for listening and for being here for us. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can reach out to us lots of different ways. Um, we are uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We do occasionally check our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash citizen dame. 
Uh, if you want to send us an email, we love that. That's citizendamepod at gmail.com. And of course, be sure to visit our official website, citizendamepod.com, where you can find all kinds of reviews and editorials, especially most recently Lauren's review of Birds of Prey. Uh, if you'd like to support the show financially, we have a couple ways you can do that. You can become a patron, and that's patreon.com slash citizendame. We have a couple of different levels. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you're helping us keep the show going. For $3, you get um, you get early access to episodes. And I know we've been promising, but we really are going to have bonus content coming up. Uh, now that the Oscars are past us, uh, <laughs> we're going to have some time to do some fun things. So look for that. We do also have our Zazzle store, which is zazzle.com slash citizendame. There's some really fun stuff in there. So, And if there's if if there's something we've said or something we've talked about and you want to see it on a t-shirt, let us know. We'll be happy to, to create that too. Uh, and then if you just want to kick in a couple dollars, you don't want a commitment and you don't need stuff in your house, that's ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizendame. And uh, you can also reach out to us individually on our Twitters and Instagrams. Lauren, where are you at? I am at LH Business. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Go watch Birds of Prey. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. They're all here for me. Aren't they? No. They're not? No, they're not. Do you know what that means? That means he's not just after the kid anymore. He's after all of us. Sure as hell after me. I just robbed him. You just betrayed him. You just killed his BFF. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths and let Roma go finger fishing in the kid's intestinal tract, we're going to have to work together. Okay. Yeah. Okay.